Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any info on our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Um, you know what's uh, really remarkable? I couldn't believe it. Uh, did you see all the emphasis on John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and verse 14? That's the text of my message tonight, or this morning, and I never, uh, we never coordinated on this. We never talked about it. I was just shocked last night. I leaned over to Fran, and I said, I can't believe it. That's my text. Uh, and uh, so the Holy Spirit has this wonderful way of weaving these things together, doesn't he? As we listen to him and follow his leading, uh, then he does marvelous things. Well, I want to I speak on the topic of why. God's son became man, or why he became flesh, why he took on humanity, why the second person of the Trinity, God the son, or the son of God, came down and took on flesh. And in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and then 14, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then if we skip over to verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us or dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only come from the father, full of grace and truth, which is why we were singing that Gloria. And it was just so powerful then when that verse came back up there uh, again. So why did Jesus become flesh? And, and I'm just going to throw up four reasons just so that you don't think that I'm skipping the most important ones. I might be, but uh, there's four reasons or four purposes that we're not going to discuss this morning because we only have so much time. And maybe sometime Easter or whenever I get another opportunity, maybe we'll t- I'll, I'll speak on that. I would love to, but to reveal to us what we are really like, that's a tremendous point. To pay the penalty for our sins, that's one that we are more familiar with. To show us how to live, he's our example, and to conquer our final enemy, death for us. Uh, But now we're going to look briefly at four other purposes or reasons for which the Son of God came to earth to take on humanity, to take on flesh. Uh, in addition to his divine nature. And the first one is to reveal God to us. Now, God has always revealed himself to humanity. Uh, and for example, he is placed in uh, eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. Uh, and, uh, and uh, it, you know, that's that intuitive knowledge that no matter where you travel in the world, people are worshiping God. And it doesn't matter how much they try to stamp out God, you just can't stamp out the belief in God. Isn't that an amazing thing? It's intuitive. Uh, There was this uh, story that I read many years ago of a little girl, and her name is Irina, and she was attending attending uh, an indoctrination class in atheism in a Soviet classroom. And as they were indoctrinating her with this idea that there is no such a thing as God, the thought suddenly occurred to her And she asked herself this question, if God doesn't exist, then why do they spend so much time trying to disprove him? Because they don't do that with Saint Nick. (laughs) And at that moment, she looked out the window and there were these large snowflakes falling. And she looked at them and she began to think uh, to herself, somebody must have designed them. Isn't that amazing? He's, He's revealed himself. 
Which really leads us right into the next one. He's revealed himself also in creation. Paul talked about it, and I mean, we often think about Psalm 19, but Paul also talked about it. In Romans chapter 1, he said, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth in their wickedness, since what may be known about God is uh, evident to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and Godhead or divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. That's verses 18 to 20. Uh, uh, you know, somebody looks, at a, somebody looks at a watch and says, well, somebody made that. That didn't just happen. We've talked about those kinds of things. But you know, the uh, creation does that, has that same impact on people. They lo- look at it a little like Irina did when she looked out the window and they said, wait a minute, somebody created it. And, and that must be somebody pretty big because if it took a human to, just to make this little watch, what, what kind of person or God is behind that? That's what he's talking about. Is a divine nature have us being clearly seen. The, the, the fact that God is, that he exists, and his eternal power. He must be a supreme power. How about this? That he's good. I mean, he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He, he, uh, he causes the sun to rise on the good and the evil. He's the one that uh, uh, prospers our harvest. Everybody can count on a harvest every year. So people begin to look at that and say, wait a minute, then he must be good. There's all kinds of things we can learn about. So that's two ways that he's revealed himself to humanity. And then how about the written revelation? The prophets and the fulfill hundreds and hundreds of fulfilled prophecies, over 300 of them just on who Messiah was going to be alone. 35 authors over a span of 1,500 years crafting this or piecing together this gigantic puzzle, this gigantic puzzle of an historically accurate plan of salvation that God was working out, and each one putting in a piece so that it comes out like this. Is that, a, is that remarkable? Uh, that's another form of revelation. But God saved his best kind of revelation for last. Because in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, he said, In the former days, God spoke to our father, forefathers through the prophets. That's what we were just talking about in various, you know, at various times in, in different ways. And then he says, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his what? Son. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Wow, and hear what John the Baptist said about the purpose, this purpose to reveal God through his son. Um, He said, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, that's what we were singing, uh, singing about and reading about in verse 14, uh, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. 
The prophets used uh, words to describe God to us, you know, propositional truths and narratives, but words. You know, God is like this, or God likes this, or God does this, or God, you know, all, all those propositional truths. And then God said, but now I'm going to, instead of just words and just pictures, I'm going to give them a 3D, a 3D representation of myself so that they can really see what I'm like. Only it was better than 3D. <laughs> it was the person himself. And uh, John, using this wonderful picture called Jesus, entitled him The Word. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And that phrase, The Word, means that Jesus revealed. God to us in a way that we could touch him and hear him and see him and really see what he's like and not just read about it. And people who can't read, they would, they would be able to tell. Jesus brought God down to our level so that when Philip asked the Lord to show them the Father, Jesus could really say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Look at me and you'll know what the Father's like. Because Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. Let's, let's just flesh this out a little bit. Let's look at an example. You know, remember the story when the Pharisees brought the, this woman caught in adultery? It's, it's interesting that she committed adultery all by herself, for there was no, other, there was no man with it. Isn't that something? Anyway, uh, they brought this woman caught in adultery, and they were hoping to trap Jesus. What's he going to do, Stoner? What is, what's he going to do? And he, said, he, he turns around and he says, well, those of you who are without sin, you be the first one. You, you pick up the first rock, and, and that, away you go. And they hesitated a little bit, and then he bent down. In fact, it says in that portion in John, it says in, in John 8, 3, it says he bent down twice, and he began to write in the sand with his finger. And then, it's, uh, and then one by one, they slunk away. Do, do you know why I think that happened? I, I have a feeling he was writing their individual names and put a dash beside it and what their sin was. <laughs> now, we learn a lot about God from that, from that story about Jesus because Jesus then turned around and he said to the woman, woman, where's your accusers? And she said, there are none. He said, um, well, neither do I accuse you or condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, there's a number of things we learn about God just by observing Jesus there. Number one, he hates sin. He said, go and sin no more. Uh, but we also learn that he is, that he is loving He's gracious, he's merciful, he's forgiving. We learn all those things. Is that true? He didn't come to, in John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world through him. And so we learn something about the Father from observing Jesus. He was the Word. He revealed the capital L Logos, or Word. All right? Well, that's uh, not only did God's Son become flesh to reveal God to us, but He also came in order to break the power of sin over us. Paul pictured our disposition or tendency to sin as enslavement. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17, he said, 
But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholly entrusted the gospel to whom you were entrusted. But, but notice that you used to be, what, what's, what's the word? Slaves. slaves. Think about that word for a minute. You were slaves to sin. In other words, you're not anymore. And uh, in Adam, we had no ability to live lives pleasing to God because we were slaves to sin. But here's what happened. Through Jesus' death and subsequent resurrection, Jesus not only died for our sins, which was one of those points that we're not going to talk about today because we often talk about that and it's terribly important, but he not only died for our sins, he died what? To our sin. And those are two separate things. They're not exactly the same. Paul says that in a few verses uh, before that, he said, uh, we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin. Once for all, the life he lives, he lives to God. Exactly. But he died what? Help me. Two cents. Say it again. He died to sin. He died for our sins, but he also died to sin. And that's really important. We're going to flesh that out a little bit. So when we are born again, our spiritual life comes from Christ. And so we are considered in Christ instead of in Adam. Now, does, that's, I know that some, sometimes that feels a little confusing. How many of you here would admit that you're penners? You're from a penner clan. How many? Okay, if, there's some of you. Um, how many of you are Friesens? Ooh, okay, there's Friesens. They're proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> how many of you wish you were a Friesen? <laughs> now, would you agree that different families, uh, like some families come with a lot of baggage? Huh? Is it true, some families, you know, I'm not gonna say which one it was, the Penners or the Friesens, I'm just, <laughs> you listen in prayer and you discern that, okay? <laughs> I'm not gonna say who, but isn't it true that some families or some clans come with a lot of baggage, whereas other ones don't have so much baggage? Yeah, that's, that's what he's getting at here. In Adam, you came with a lot of baggage when you were in his family. Is that true? You were Adamites. Yeah. You, you're, you're not penners and freezers. You were Adamites. And being in his family, you came with lots of baggage. But when you were born the second time, remember that song we were singing? A better Adam they sang here. They, they were, it was in one of the songs. A better Adam. So Jesus, the, or the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, came down to earth and he became the second Adam so that you could be transferred from that family with a lot of baggage you know, dominion of sin into this and un, under the second Adam's family. And guess what? He has no baggage. No baggage. Is that something to be thankful for? Yeah. He say, well, I mean, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and you, there's different, there, you can get into, like if you're a parent, you can get into a freezing family. Did you know that? You just marry up. 
or you get adopted in. Is that true? Sure. Uh, that, that, uh, I, I saw it in our own family. And then everything that's in that family, you get it. I remember one day we were driving home into the cul-de-sac. We hit the garage door opener. The garage, garage door opens. Fran and I are sitting in the car. We're driving up to it. Oh, my goodness. There's a man in our, in our garage. And the freezer is open. And he's got his hand in. And he's looking like this. <laughs> It was Travis Newfold. <laughs> it was our son-in-law. He married in. Apparently, when you marry in, or when you get adopted in, you get everything that family has. <laughs> Is that true? The freezer, everything. Now we put locks on, so it's not a problem, but... <laughs> no, we love it. But that's the point. When you were in Adam, you came with all kinds of baggage, but when you were born from the second Adam, that's why he came to earth, you no longer had that baggage and you got everything that was in his freezer. Huh? You got everything that's in his freezer and he doesn't mind if you rob it. Everything that's in Christ then belongs to you because you are now a Christian, not an Adamite. Is that true? Amen. Amen. That's exactly what it's talking, uh, that's what it's talking about. So, we know that our old self was crucified. What's it? Huh? What's the words there? In, in the yellow. In the yellow. With or in him. See? So when you're born into his family, you're a Christian now, you are in him, and because of it, your old self is crucified. You're not an Adamite anymore. That's from the past. It's crucified. You're in him, which is amazing. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Death here means, I mean, sin here means the ending of a relationship, not existence. That doesn't mean there isn't sin and that you don't deal with any sin. No, no, no. But it means that it doesn't have power or dominion over you. That tendency that made you be like that is gone. So Paul says, don't act like it's there. <laughs> We're going to come to that in a minute. Uh, that relationship is gone. Colossians 1, he said, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. The power of sin wasn't broken. Sin didn't die. However, sin's power to dominate us was broken through our death when Christ crucified our old self and nature and resurrection in Christ. In Christ. That's what you get because you're in a different family. Anyone who has died has been freed from sin. So sin no, uh, is now an outer, it, it, it's just an outer force that is tempting you to get involved. It's no longer an inner force that is controlling and dominating you. That was crucified. That's dead. You're not in Adam anymore. You're in Christ. That's amazing. He came from heaven to become the second Adam so you could be born in there to break that power. Is that amazing? It is unbelievable. That's why he became flesh. One of the reasons, one of the many reasons. And now we commit sin when we willfully act independent of God. And for this reason, Paul exhorts us to live in that understanding. He says, count yourself dead to sin. 
He's not saying, just walk around saying, count yourself dead to sin, count yourself dead to sin. That's not what he means. He means, um, get it. Do you get it? Oh, I don't have to be dominated by sin anymore because it has been crucified because I'm not in and I'm not an Adamite. I'm not in his family anymore. I'm in this one. Oh, I don't have to. So then one, why am I, right? And, but God not only, re, um, uh, not only was our old self of the old Adamic nature crucified, it was replaced with the divine nature. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the... Um, Uh, Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may partake in the divine nature and, and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We can become partakers of a new nature. So when you... When you left in Adam and you went into Christ or into his family, you got his nature. No longer did you have his nature, you got his nature. Jesus' nature. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in... He is a new creation. Exactly. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It's amazing. Christ is now the internal power in our lives, giving us the desire and ability to obey and uh, so then you ask, yeah, but uh, I'm a little confused. There's still a struggle, yeah? I mean, didn't Paul say that he still had a struggle? Yes, there was a struggle, but he said it was a different struggle. It isn't a struggle between two natures. It's not like you have the ba- you don't have Adam's nature and God's nature in you. No, one replaced the other. So you say, well, why do I have this struggle then? Well, Paul points, us to, uh, points it to us points us to the right answer in Galatians chapter 5, 24, where he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the what? Flesh with its passions and desires. And I put up those two verses there just so you could see. The, uh, can, can we just go back to that? Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. But notice nature, divine nature, is physis and flesh is sarks. He's talking about the flesh. You say, well, then what is the flesh? We'll go to that next slide now. And you see the distinction there. The struggle isn't between two natures. That one is dead. It's gone. You're not in Adam anymore, so don't act like it. Uh, But the struggle is between a divine nature and the flesh. And you say, what is the flesh? Well, um, I've talked about that uh, before. And and, uh, I heard Chris referring to it just a couple of messages ago. Pastor Chris, he referred to it. But this is... What I talked about in spring, you know, when, uh, when I talked about, when, uh, when you learn to drive and somebody's next to you, and let's say that first trip to Winnipeg, and you are, you, you are concentrating so hard. Oh, shoot, I want to move in the left lane. Uh, yeah, I should check the mirror. Is it the mirror first, or do I check my shoulder first? Oh, no. I check, do I put the signal on and then check the mirror? Oh, no, no, no. I check the mirror. I do my shoulder check, now I put the signal on. Yeah, yeah, I got it. But by the time you get to Winnipeg, your pants are soaking wet. <laughs> Is that true? You've had to work so hard thinking and co- concentrating. And never mind, the person next to you is white-knuckled, <laughs> right? But, but you've had to concentrate so hard. But, you know, after a while, after you do that a few years, you just do this automatically. It's just automation. And you don't even know how. One day you drive to Winnipeg and you wonder how you got there. 
You wonder if you were teleported there. Is that true? It's because God has designed it like that, that we would, we, we would work out of the subconscious. That's the flesh. So there's patterns. You learn, and you learn good patterns, you know, in the, in the brain, and the subconscious over, uh, takes over so that you can work on the conscious part and you can accomplish that much more. And that's why God does it that way. I, I think it's brilliant. But here's the problem. When you were born in Adam, you, because of that old Adamic nature which, with its propensity to sin, you learned a lot of habits, patterns of thinking and patterns of reactions that weren't godly. And you do them subconsciously, you don't even know them. Words flow off your tongue. You know what I mean? Actions, reactions, you get ticked off easily. Same thing, same thing, same thing. It's a pattern. And that's what you're fighting. The flesh has to be reprogrammed. Do you see what I'm saying? And you can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's another topic. That's actually another series. Uh, but uh, we'll leave it at that uh, for, uh, for now. So before we were saved, we were hopelessly imprisoned in the flesh but after salvation we can still choose to walk according to the flesh but we don't have to anymore don't have to and you can repattern it by the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, reading of the word and prayer and all these kinds of things but the spirit is mixed into all of that Romans chapter 8 verse 13 says and if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, so not only did the Son of God, God's Son, second person of the Trinity, come down to earth and take on humanity or flesh um, in order to reveal God to us, not only to break the power or dominion of sin over us, he came to live our obedience for us. Yeah. Did you know that if Jesus had just died for our sins, he, we would be forgiven, but still we wouldn't merit heaven? We not only need the removal of a negative, that is our sins, we also need a positive righteousness. In Eden, Adam and Eve were in a covenant relationship of sorts with God. Hosea, you know, he alludes to it in Hosea chapter 6. He says, like Adam, they have broken the covenant. They were unfaithful to me. God said that they could eat of every tree in the garden except the tree of what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said that it came with a, uh, with a warning that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely what? Exactly. And the covenant implied that they, had they met the condition of obedience during this period of testing, they would have instead experienced the blessing of eternal life as signified by the tree of life. The scriptures bear witness that theoretically speaking, perfect obedience would lead to life. Now, of course, because we've all been born into Adam's family and he messed up everything that he, he got, we got, and we're messed up. We know that. We're talking about the theoretically speaking. And Jesus affirmed this when the young lawyer asked Jesus one day in Luke chapter 10, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked, what is written in the law? 
He said, well, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And this, the, uh, it may come to, as a surprise to you, but Jesus actually agreed with him. Look what it says in verse 28. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But of course, Jesus knew he had already broken them. And he knew he would continue to break them. But Adam failed this simple prohibition because he was the, and because he was a representative of all humanity, in, in other words, he was the family head that we all got born into, then his failure became our failure. So humanity needed someone to live a perfectly obedient life for us, thereby earning our righteousness and securing eternal life for us. Uh, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 5, 19, for just as by the disobedience of the one man, the many became what? Uh, go, go ahead, church, help me. The many became what? So also through the obedience of the one, the many will become righteous. Exactly. You can see this in Jesus' response when John the Baptist at first refused to baptize him. Jesus replied, let it be so now. I mean, Jesus is coming to, to be baptized. I mean, if you were baptizing here and Jesus walked up and said, uh, I'd like you to baptize me, would you feel awkward? <laughs> would you just say, I'll uh, let somebody else do this one? I would. That's what John the Baptist was. He said, I'm not ready to baptize Jesus. And then Jesus responds like this. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. He was living our righteousness for us. And then John consented. And so he did it for our sake. And that's why his repeated references to obeying the Father are so significant. If you obey my commands and remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Paul knew that he personally needed not only forgiveness of sins so that he wouldn't have to pay the penalty for sin. Christ did that. But he also knew that he needed Christ's righteousness. He says that in Philippians chapter 3. He says, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Uh, note that Paul tells us here that the righteousness or perfect obedience of Christ which we need is transferred to us when we believe. He said the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. He lives it for us and we get it. Is that amazing? So that's the basis for the great exchange. I give Jesus all my sins and he pays the penalty on the cross for that. And then he turns around, lives my obedience and hands me the righteousness so that I can have eternal life. Is that a deal? It is simply amazing. That's why he came, uh, to live our obedience for us. So, not only did God's Son become flesh to reveal God to us, not only did God's Son, or the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, come to earth and take on humanity to break power of sin over us, and the dominion of sin, not only did the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, come to earth, take on humanity, um, uh, to live our obedience for us, 
but he came lastly to reign over us or over his people. Christ's work was not finished at the cross. No. He's coming back to rule and reign. We were singing about that. He is coming back again. Remember that? Wasn't that amazing? They had the whole message in song. It's incredible. In the Christmas story, as recorded by Luke, I want you to notice something. You will be with child, give birth to a son, you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And then this part that we don't talk a lot about at Christmas, we read it, but we don't talk a lot about it usually. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. That's, that's just as much a part of the Christmas story as Jesus in a manger. And when we think about the Christmas story, we, uh, the, the prophets predicted that God's Messiah would come from the house of David, would literally rule and reign over Israel. And we were singing this out of Isaiah 9, 7. We, 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 we sang it earlier, you know, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That was verse 6. Of the in, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and for forever. And that this is not just a spiritual text. This is, this is telling us what is literally going to happen. We can tell that even, I mean... Herod and the religious leaders, they all, they all believed it. The wise men believed it. And we know that they must have understood it this way because Herod even attempted to kill the Christ child. He knew this was literal. And the incarnate Son of God, Jesus, will rule and reign over Israel in a literal way in, uh, so that the nations will make their pilgrimages there. But did you know that the kingdom of God has already begun to break into the present? It, it's already partially here. <laughs> oh, it's not nearly anywhere, anywhere close to being fulfilled yet. No, no, no. We're waiting for him to come back and set up his whole rule and reign. And I'm so glad because I am so sick and tired of the leadership in our world today. Yes. Are you? Amen. I can't hardly digest that stuff anymore. I, 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 I read through the headlines and it's as much, as almost as much as I can stomach already. It's just awful. I'm looking forward to somebody who's coming to rule and reign in a literal way with justice and truth, Amen. not lies. And peace and hope. Oh my, I long for that. The songs at Christmas often pine for that. But we can experience them already. Uh, it's partially broken in. Matthew 12, 28. Jesus said, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has already come. It's already breaking in. 
And those who believe in Christ begin to experience a bit of what God's final reign will be like now. You get a little piece of heaven now. It's not just waiting for pie in the sky. We get to experience a little bit of his kingdom now. We can experience some measure of victory over sin. We can experience uh, you know, overcoming oppression of demonic spirits. Sometimes we experience miraculous healings. Not everything. No, 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 not the whole thing. That's coming. We're still going to die. But, but, we, but we already get to experience some of it. And look what Paul said in Romans. He said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of, please say these words for me. What? What's the first word? Righteousness and peace and joy. Oh, in the Holy Spirit. That's going to become important in a, in a couple of statements here. Righteousness and peace and joy, those are characteristics of the coming kingdom. And he's saying we can already experience some of that now. I don't know about you, but I, I, uh, I get up early in the morning and I go alone with God. And I spend hours with him. And I'm going to tell you. Sometimes the number of burdens and challenges and problems that I face, just like you do, are overwhelming enough to make you sad and discouraged. But when you spend time in his presence, the Holy Spirit comes and gives you peace like you can't believe, and you sometimes there's a joy that is so unbridled you don't know what to do with yourself. Is that true? Now, I, I don't, this is a really nice Bible. I don't like to mark it up because I got it from Fran. It's, it's brand new. So I take my little phone Bible because I got a whole bunch of Bibles on there and that's where I memorize from and stuff. And the, and the other day I was clutching a phone, if you can believe it. It looked insane. But I, I had no lights on, so it didn't matter. And I was clutching it. And I was weeping as I thanked God. And I said, Lord, this joy is unspeakable. I can't believe it. When I'm in your presence and the Holy Spirit gives me this kind of joy, you say, that, that comes from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Jesus got it that way too. Luke chapter 10, verse 21 says, Jesus, full of, the Holy, uh, full of joy by the Holy Spirit. That's how he got it. Is that amazing? And, 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 and lots of people are in darkness and they don't have hope and they don't have, and, and all these things. I am not a pessimist because I've got the, this tremendous hope and I know many of you do too, but you get it in his presence by the Holy Spirit. That's how you get it. And, and you get to experience some of his rule and reign now. Now listen to me. Part of the reason I am so confident that he's coming is, yes, I've, I've read the Bible and I've, I've done the apologetics and all those kinds of things, and I believe all that and I love it all, but you know what Paul would have us know? Part of the reason he was so excited was because he was getting a foretaste, by the way, we were singing about that, we get a foretaste of heaven now and that's our guarantee of what's coming. Just saying, just saying, I'll show it to you. Look at this. Ephesians 1 verse 13 to 14 says this. Having believed, you were marked. We're, okay, what's that phrase there? We were marked, what? In him. In him. Yeah, 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 yeah. With a seal. And what's the seal? 
promised Holy Spirit, who is a what? Deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance, inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We get to experience a hint of heaven and the, power, the Spirit is the, is the dynamic by which the kingdom of God operates. And we get to experience a little bit of that right now and that, my friends, that's the guarantee, that's the deposit that guarantees us that more is coming so that when you're singing these songs with, these, with a choir, there's such hope, tears are running down your, your cheek and you're saying, yes, what I've experienced, I, I've experienced some of that, now I want the whole thing. Is that true? And that you long for him. Oh, that's our hope. That's where we get it. It's already here, but not yet. The kingdom isn't fully here. Oh, no, no. There's still pain. There's still sorrow. But in the midst of it, we experience hints of it enough to keep us going. Matthew 25. The king will say to those in the right hand, on his right, come... Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Its fullness is still in the future. Well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only come from the Father, full of grace and truth. He came, why? To reveal God to us. To pay for our sins, though we didn't talk about that. To live our obedience for us, to break the power of sin over us, and to reign over us now and forevermore. Amen. O come, O come. Emmanuel. Amen.